Amen. And this, if we can say, God is good all the time. Amen. <laughs> the problem is that in our life, it doesn't always seem like that. <laughs> Things happen to us in life, and it, it, it challenges us. We ask ourselves, God, why has this happened to me? Or we could say, God, why have you let this happen to me? How can you be good when this thing this person's done something to me. Are you really good? And I don't want to uh, paint over it because the reality of our life is sometimes in our life, God doesn't seem good. When things are happening, it's, it's difficult to believe sometimes. And so what I want to encourage you this morning is that we have to hold on to the faith that God is good. Um. I think as well, our understanding of God's goodness sometimes requires time. We've got to hold on to Him. If you speak to perhaps the more seasoned Christians here, those of with gray hair, no hair, uh, <laughs> and ask them, is God good? I'm sure they'll tell you, yes, He is. He is good. We've got to hold on to Him, though. I want to uh, read a scripture from Luke chapter 18, 18 to 19. Um, and this is, uh, somebody comes to Jesus, I'm re reading here, it says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. And Jesus had, if you look at Jesus, he has this way, the person comes to him with a question, but Jesus sees to the heart of the issue. He bypasses what the person was trying to get from Jesus and gets, gets to the heart. The verse challenges us. <clears throat> We've got... We're often accustomed to thinking of ourselves as good. Uh, we, always, we tend to think that we are better than the average person. The problem is that every, if every person thinks they're better than the average person, we're all average then, aren't we? <laughs> None of us are inherently good. And only God is truly good. He is the definition of goodness. And when we want to try and define goodness, we need to look to him. It follows as well that if we have complete faith in the goodness of God, it gives us the incentive to act accordingly. If God is good, we can be good as well. We can afford to be good. We don't, we're not losing anything by being good, right? When we look at the world, the basic principles of the world are driven by self-interest, the Bible tells us that the world is, is, is governed by, by the devil. But God is above it all and he's sovereign. His plan will work out. We can afford to be good and copy him. My second point is that, and it follows on from the first, is that our goodness is dependent on God. 
we get our power from God's goodness. The problem is, um, in our natural state, often our efforts at doing good are inherently distorted by self-interest, our ideas of what good is, our prejudices of who deserves good. That person is, deserves my favor, but that person doesn't deserve good. That person needs to see the bad side of me. That's goodness in our natural state. We need to look to God and get our goodness from Him. As we saw in Galatians 5.22, goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It requires God's empowering uh, power working within us. Goodness is also an outworking of God's grace. In Psalm 16, verse 2, David has this revelation, and he says, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. And when we want to try and do good in the world, we need to be in connection with God. We can't truly do good if we're doing it in our own effort, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding. We need to be connected with the Father. My third point is that goodness is linked to excellence. And um, I'm not sure... uh, Perhaps there's a a kind of a a way of talking down to people. Oh, you're such a good boy. You're such a good girl. I grew up as a a preacher's kid. (laughs) A lot of pressure on you when you're growing up, and you're the good boy, right? But when we look into the heart of the matter, goodness is not a weakness, but it's excellence of character, excellence in our work, excellence in our conduct, aspiring to the highest moral standards. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. What we can see from this verse is that there is an inherent goodness to creation and to people. And although I've said, um, you know, we can't do good apart from God, I'm sure each of us has got experiences of people that we've met who are not Christians, right? But we see goodness in them. That is imparted by God. God is our creator. He has gifted us with goodness. I'm not sure if any of you have uh, recently seen a beautiful sunset. You look at the sky and you just think, God, you are the artist. We heard the band today and we say, God, you've created a beautiful thing in music. God has, has done something amazing 
in our world. When we look at the world, perhaps some of us have the fortune of going away on holiday in December, maybe to a nice place, looking at the sea, and you just think, wow, God, creation speaks of you. God, creation tells a beautiful story. However, we do know that creation is fallen. It's been distorted by sin. People have been warped, made ugly by the effects of sin. People are fallen. We're fallen beings. Half of us is divine. Half of us is, is fallen. Part of us is animal. It draws us to a dark place. However, when God does something, it is very good. God does something very good. We can trust him. We can trust him to do a good thing. So going back to the question of what is goodness, we see in God a pattern. When God does something, he does it very good. And the question I want to ask you, when you do something, is it very good? Do you give your work? Do you give your family? Do you give every area of your life your best? Do you give it, do you make it very good? Okay, that's the challenge uh, that we have. My fourth point is a dose of reality. It is that we can get tired of being good. We can get tired of doing good. What I love about the scripture, about the Bible, is that it's a book grounded in reality. I work at a university, and I'll be the first to admit, I sometimes get sucked up into the world of ideas. And it's often divorced from what people are actually experiencing. The Bible is not like that. It's a book that is in touch with the way the world really is. And what we see here is a recognition. We sometimes get tired. Why must I always let people in front of me in the queue? Or when I'm driving to work and somebody cuts in front of me, why must I just let the guy go all the time? Why can't I use my hooter as well? (laughs) Okay, so that's the reality. What we see in Galatians is the first part where it says, let us not grow tired of doing good. For in due time, we shall reap our harvest if we do not give up. Daily life tests our goodness. We're going to go out of here from church and there's going to be situations. I don't know about you, but often after church, there's moments where I feel grumpy for some reason. I don't know why. Things are testing me. Almost immediately as I walk out the door, I'm being tested. There's a danger of fatigue, loss of perspective and focus. We look around at others and prevailing norms and we ask ourselves the question, why should I be good? What's the point? What the scripture reminds us is that to see the benefits of goodness, we have to persevere. We mustn't give up. What the verse also shows us is that the benefits of goodness are not always immediate. 
We have to persevere. We have to work at it. Perhaps for those of you who are farmers, the idea of a harvest, you plant the seed, but you don't immediately see the fruit. You've got to carry on watering it. You've got to persevere. You've got to keep working at it. My last point is that every day gives opportunities to do good. Every day we wake up, make our coffee, tea. Every day is an opportunity to do good. The second part of that verse says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who belong to the family of faith. What we can see there in the verse is that we are called to do, do good to those who deserve it, right? Am I misquoting? To do good to all. That's a massive challenge, right? In our, we see people who deserve it, people who are okay, and people who definitely don't deserve it, right? So we're actually, we're, par- we're partial, right? We're not, good to, we're not good to all. We're good to those we like, but not to those we don't like. The challenge in Scripture is that Jesus emphasized doing good to all, even those who do evil to us. We are not to judge who deserves good and who does not. There's even an added level of challenge in Romans 12 verse 21 where it says, Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, and sometimes when we look at the world, the perception that we get is that evil is stronger than good. The bad guys always win. To get ahead in life, I've got to play dirty. I've got to work hard. I've got to, I've got to follow the ways of the world. That's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows us that good is stronger than evil. Good overcomes evil. The last part of that verse reminds us that we are called especially to do good to the family of faith, our fellow believers. So as much as I've said, there's no impartiality, and that's true. We need to especially look for opportunities to do good to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's not to say you know, we don't, we do, we, you know, we give everybody else, you know, a little bit. But it's to say that we go above and beyond. We do extra good to the family of faith. So those are my five points in response to the motivation for goodness and what is goodness. Just as I, as I wrap up, I just want to ask that we would be able to pray and look to God's strength to do good, to mirror Him in our goodness, 
in being good, we are mirroring the Father. He sends rain on the unrighteous and the righteous. He is a good Father. He is a patient Father. And if we hold on to the promises that in due time we shall reap our harvest and we will receive our reward. In doing good, we're not going to see an immediate benefit. We may, we may actually see it as a cost to us. But we need to do good in faith, holding on to the promises of God, recognizing that God is good, modeling our behavior on Him. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Good morning, everyone. You can turn me down a little bit. Part two, generosity. Obviously linked to goodness because one should flow from the other. And uh, what is generosity? This is a quick definition from Google. My mother-in-law calls Google Mr. Google because uh, he's apparently a guy. Anyway, this uh, this is what Google says about generosity. It is being ready to give more of something than is necessary or expected. More of something that's necessary or expected. And so, so generosity is an attractive thing. I'm pretty sure we would all rather hang out with people who are generous than people who are stingy. Am I right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's natural. And we most often think of generosity in terms of money or in terms of gifts or those things, but it applies equally to time or our skills, our abilities. So let me work that one out first. Uh, Vasen, who's standing at the bat, and his, uh, and his wife Pet, Vas and Pet, they are incredibly generous with their time. If you have a problem, Vas somehow makes time. I don't know how he does it, but they're an incredibly generous couple when it comes to their time. I know this because he loves people, and the result is he's happy to spend time with people whenever. There's no such thing as a short phone call when Vas phones, because it's just he's generous with his time. There's no voice note less than five minutes, because he's just generous with his time. It's, it's an amazing thing. Ian was talking about when they joined the church and we were renovating this venue a year ago, 12 months ago, there were so many people who were generous with their time. They came and they broke down. I remember Sapiwe sitting at the back there. We broke down the storage units that were here. We were smashing them with hammers. There were loads of other people who took leave during December to come and build and paint and do all that stuff. People who worked on weekends, people who worked late into the night. There was a generosity of time that happened when we were moving in here and getting things ready. What about generosity with skills? Albert, who's one of our drummers, uh, he's not here today. They are away for their 10th anniversary, Albert and Deirdre. But, but he's an engineer, and he can do anything with, like, wire and duct tape. But he, he's, like, he's at the next level. He's got his own laser cutter. He's got his own 3D printer. And so he will make, you know, I don't know nothing about music at all, but I'm told that this thing over here is a, is a pedal, right? It's actually got buttons on, so I don't know why they call it a pedal. But they, he makes these just for the band because he can, and it helps the band. There, there's a generosity of skill that Albert is, is um, serving us with in many, many other ways as well. I think of our wedding and leading up to our wedding, a couple in the church that Candace was part of at the time, 
The lady made her wedding dress. We bought the fabric and she made it from scratch, the wedding dress, this lady. Her husband did all the flowers for the wedding, the bouquet, all the arrangements, all the decor in the hall. Incredible couple they gave of their skills into our wedding. Beautiful thing to to be part of. Often generosity with skills results in generosity with time. Why? Because you're doing something that you're good at to bless someone or to help out, but it's often in your spare time. So kind of skills and, and time kind of go together. And the great thing is that God gives us the skills and the time to manage. Not always easy to manage time, am I right? Uh, very difficult. But we can actually grow our abilities. We can grow our skills, our gifting, and we can learn new ones. How cool is that? Imagine like God made people that you were born with your three skills and that was it. You couldn't learn anything new. But God's given us the ability to learn other gifts, talents, skills, etc. It's a beautiful thing. This is one of my favorite verses when it comes to how we should use our gifts that God's given us. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. He says, each of you, not just the tall people or the strong people, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, as we use the gifts that God's given us, it's like God's grace goes out to people who are receiving the benefit of that gift. There's a gift being used right now on the stage. Awesome. Thanks, Ains. (laughs) These lights are cool. It's our first time we're having them in here. And it looks like they're they're showing off for this morning. (laughs) So what about Jesus and generosity? Jesus got excited about generosity. He was ecstatic about it. The one time he goes to the temple with his disciples, and like Jesus, Jesus wasn't known for his subtlety. Okay? Like Jesus did things obviously. And so he's in the temple. And it's the time to take up the offering. And so how they did it in the temple days, there was this big box on stage. And people would queue up with their money. And they would put it in the box. And like there'd be a long queue behind them. And so Jesus gets a chair. He sits down and he's watching the offering box. Like it's not subtle, you know. And he's watching all the disciples. They're watching and they watch all the, the heavy hitters, you know, pull out the wallet. And you know when it's like a soft thud? It's like a big wad of notes. And the disciples are like, wow. Did you, hear, you had to listen carefully for that soft thud. Jesus is like, oh, good, go for it, you know. Keeps watching, more people come. And then this old lady comes. You know, the, you know the story. What does she do? Puts in two coins. Ding, ding. The disciples are like, why is she even in the queue? What does Jesus do? Oh, my word, look what she's done. He gets excited about these two coins that end up in there. And he says, she's given more than anyone. He gets ecstatic. He jumps around. He high-fives her. This is my version of events. <laughs> but but Jesus, Jesus' standards of generosity are not the same as ours, not the same as the world's. He got excited about this lady. Another time he praised a woman who poured expensive perfume on his feet and his hair. And they said that they calculated the cost of this alabaster jar was a year's wages. He commended her for this generous, sacrificial, extravagant act of worship. Another time he tells the parable of a rich man, the rich fool. This man who, it seems like he was a farmer, he had a bumper crop that year. Massive harvest. And he says, yo, 
It's a good year. The rains fell in the right time. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns because there's not enough space to store all this harvest. And I'm going to like build a bigger storehouse, fill it up. I'm going to retire early. I'm going to take life easy. Jesus carries on the story. and He says, well, actually, this guy didn't know that he would actually pass away that night. Who would get all this money that he was saving for himself selfishly? And Jesus said, just be careful because if you're selfish and this happens and you're not generous to God, actually other people are going to get all the hard work that you benefited or that you worked for. They will benefit from it. But the context is generosity to God. And I think we know that the ultimate most generous gift was Jesus giving his life for you and I, dying on the cross as a substitute in our place. And it doesn't stop there. He ascended to heaven, and then he gave the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, with us, inside us, every day. That's generous. Not just salvation, but we get to walk with God on earth. And so Jesus got excited about generosity. And there's loads of other scriptures about generosity. I'm not going to go through every single one of them, but I'll just shoot off a few that you'll recognize Paul in Acts 20, he's quoting Jesus' words. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs says, he who gives to the poor lends to God. Have you ever thought of that? Lending to God. How do you do that? Well, you give to the poor. And then it says, God will repay him. Imagine being in God's debt. God owes you. Right? So it's an amazing thing, generosity. Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, we should excel in this grace of giving. In other words, be first. It's a competition. Beat the guy next to you. No, no doesn't, not saying that, but, but be excellent. Do it well. Excel in the grace of giving. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He says, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I've got a friend who lives in Peter Maritzburg, and whenever he would go to someone's house, he would never, ever arrive empty-handed. At the very least, he would bring like a packet of chips or something. Like he was just, that was his lifestyle, generosity. Whenever he went somewhere, he brought something for the people that were there. Proverbs 11 says this, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Paul writes to Timothy, this young leader in a church in Ephesus, and he says, tell this to all the rich people in your church. This is how to start a fight. Tell this to all the rich people, charge the rich, instruct them, dare them, challenge them, command them. This is what he says, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. Do good, be rich in good works or abound in good works, be generous and ready to share. So Timothy would have gone to all the rich people and said, this is what Paul says, do good, abound in good works, be generous, be ready to share. I wonder how he would have figured out who are the rich people and who are the not rich people. How would you do it? If you look around today, how would you say, ah, oh, the rich people are on this side and the not rich people are on this side? How would you figure it out? Because, because let's be honest, if I'm not rich, I can ignore this verse because this is written to the rich people. 
Yeah? Everyone here, no one's here rich, eh? Yeah, didn't think so. This is, this is stats, world economic stats. How, how do we know if we are wealthy, if we're rich? If you earned in the last year 4,000 rand a month or more, so 50,000 rand a year, if you earned that amount or more, you are in the top 20% wealthiest people in the world. In other words, 80% in the world are poorer than you. I think Paul would say the top 20%, you guys are the rich. Maybe he'd say that. If you live in a flat or a house, you've got enough money for food and clothes and you have reliable transport. It doesn't have to be a flashy car, but you've got some reliable means of transport. You're in the top 15%. How's that? I would say probably 80% of us here, if not more, are, are rich. Don't feel bad. I'm just saying what the Bible says. But, but notice all these scriptures talk about generosity. They talk about giving. They don't talk about tithing. And I'm not here to talk about tithing today. But the Bible is clear that our generosity, our giving, our offerings is over and above tithing. And that tithing is our first responsibility to God. And that every believer should be tithing on their gross income to the church they're part of. Why? For the work of God to be resourced through that local church. That's the reason that we tithe. Obviously, it shows faith in God uh, and trust in Him as our provider, etc. Wherever your local church is, there are some visitors here today. You should be, every believer should be tithing to that local church and giving generously wherever God leads you. Wherever God stirs your heart, it might be to the church, it might be outside the church, that's between you and God. This is a really important point that we have to get, is that giving mustn't be a burden, okay? Giving must not be a burden. God's not trying to coerce you or, or twist your arm or make you feel bad. He would never do that. And I want to say to you, if you ever, in this church, if you ever feel manipulated into giving, you feel like uncomfortable, don't give. Because the Bible says we should give with a cheerful heart. So if you feel like that today or any other day, please don't give, because it's not coming from the right heart. Two verses on this very important point about giving, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, about this gift that he's, the church is preparing to, to give an offering. He says, if the readiness is there, if you're prepared, if you're ready, you don't, you're not caught off guard, then the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. In other words, God doesn't expect us to give what we don't have, right? Please hear that. God doesn't expect you to give more than you have, I think he does call some people to a radical generosity. There are some people who do sell everything. I don't know how, but I think God does call some people to that level of faith, and it requires faith, a special kind of faith. 2 Corinthians 9, from verse 6. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, they'll reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. For each one must give as he has decided in his heart. In other words, go home and think about it. Go home and pray about it. Go home and discuss it with your spouse. Don't just give on a whim 
Someone stirred your heart. You're feeling emotional. I'm, I'm going to give 100,000 rand. Paul says, don't give like that. That's emotional giving. He says, decide in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So whenever you give, make sure you've slept on it a few times. Make sure you're on the same page with your spouse. I remember some time back, we were, um, the church we were part of was taking up a certain offering, and we were praying about how much we should give. And I'm not going to give you figures, because then you will think of us strangely. So I prayed, and I felt God give me a certain figure. And I thought, yo, this is a big figure. This is going to be my biggest offering ever. Maybe I got a bit proud, I don't know. And so I said to Candice, what has God told you? I know what he's told me, but what has he told you? I'm thinking she's going to be like, you know, one-tenth of the figure, and then I'll be, shoo, I don't have to give so much. But you know what God had told her? She didn't, he didn't tell her an amount. He said, whatever Glennon says, double it. <laughs> True story. I sat there trying to find air. <gasps> <laughs> and we'd both heard God. And somehow we, we did manage to find that money and we gave it after praying about it a few more days. <laughs> Not reluctantly, it was a cheerful offering because we had decided in our heart it was within our means and it was amazing. And that offering, whatever that figure is, is no better than someone who gives a hundred rand in faith. Having heard God, having decided in their heart, having given cheerfully in faith. So, so God, we know Jesus doesn't look at the amount. That's clear. So please hear what I'm saying this morning. His standards of generosity are, are different. He doesn't normally take into account the actual amount. So here are some ways that you can give, as I'm kind of drawing to an end here. Time and skills. Look around the church for any gaps. If you see the same person on projection week after week, they might need more people in that team. Just a thought. Sometimes it doesn't look like there's a gap. Oh, those welcoming people every week are so friendly. But maybe they're running on caffeine. Maybe they do need a break. So, so look around and see, God, what can I do? What skills do I have? Do I have some free time? Sometimes we have to make time to do that. Think of the, throughout the year, the various care ministry projects that we have. At the moment, we're doing the shoebox gifts some of the gifts are already sitting under the trees here. So when you bring your gifts next week, put them under the trees. But if you didn't get a chance, I saw one couple walking out with 10 boxes. I'm like, that's greedy. Other people don't get a chance to give. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what they had faith for. That's, I'm not mocking them. That's, that's amazing, right? But if you were disadvantaged because you didn't get a box, as Lainey said, you can EFT to the church account, call it orphanage. We'll use those funds for the party that we'll have with the orphanage in two weeks' time out in Tembisa. Another way you can give, you can give towards our event on the 10th, right? We're capping it at 200 people. Have you ever fed 200 people from a spit bra? You can figure out what that's costing. There's no charge. You're, you bring your guests for free. But if you want to give towards the cost of that, when you EFT, just say, Carol's will know what it's for and allocate it accordingly. You can look around. Uh, as Ian said, bless an individual in need. Look around in your life group. Are there people in need? You can bless them. Try and do it anonymously if you can. That's a biblical principle, but you can't always. We know that. And then lastly, 
make it a lifestyle. Make generosity something that you are known for. We are known for as a church. And let me tell you how we do it in the Askoff household. We have a, a detailed budget. I like spreadsheets and numbers. I'm a numbers guy. And so as part of our budget every month, we set aside money just to give away. Sometimes we buy gifts for people. Sometimes we sew it into something. Sometimes we just buy a meal voucher for a couple who've had a baby, whatever it might be. That money is for, for not us. It's for anything else beyond our home. So it's in our budget every single month. And cancel often say, huh, I want to do this. Do we have any left over in that budget? And I say, no, but payday's in two days' time. Just wait, there'll be, it's, it's, it's coming back. I've lost my place here. So this is, this, is what, this is what we do. When it comes to, we've, we've over the years been very deliberate with our finances. So we've been working hard on our budgeting, on how we spend money over years and years. And we're at the point now, praise God, that when my 13th check comes in, I work for a, an agricultural company, and I'm glad they paid the, the, the 13th check at the end of November. So yesterday when the 13th check came in, first thing I did was tithe. Easy to do, Right. But we don't need that money for living day to day because we've worked hard at our finances over the years. So most of that we put into our bond because we want to pay off our debt as quickly as we can, right? But we saved a fair portion of that, and that is just for giving away, just for generosity. So we know every year, come in November, we've got extra to give. And I, I'm not saying this to impress you, honestly. This is just normal Christianity, to be generous with, with what we have. And so I want to I wanna say to us this morning, be free. Some churches speak about finances a lot. Every time you go there, there's like a mini sermon on finances or money or giving or tithing, whatever it might be. Other churches, that you hardly ever hear them talk about finances. We're more on this stage, or on this side. I'm on this stage already. <laughs> And so we, we probably do you a disservice by not talking about finances more than we do. We understand it's a sensitive topic, but I want to say be free, right? If you feel manipulated in any way this morning, I, I apologize, that's not my intent, but we have to speak what the Bible says faithfully because every part of our life is under God's rulership. So if you feel manipulated today, please don't give. Genuinely, don't give. If you feel angry or upset or miffed, possibly, with respect, you might be stingy. <laughs> You're laughing. You're laughing. But for some of you, it's true. Get before God. Repent. Lord, look how much you've given me, breath, sunsets, life. You can thank God for whatever you have and actually change your heart. That's, that's the response if you're feeling angry. If you're feeling stirred, go home, pray about it, talk to your wife, and give. Some of you might be sad. You have a desire to give. You long to be generous. You long to do more than you can. But for whatever reason, your financial state is not in a place that you're able to do that. Give your time. 
Give your skills, give your prayers, whatever it might be. There's lots you can still give. And can I say, work at your finances. Follow God's pattern. Do a finance course. Learn how to get out of debt so that you can be able. God, God can see that you're faithful with the little. He can bless you with much because he knows you will steward it and align with his word. And that's what we've been very deliberate about the last four or five years with our own finances. Amen? Let me pray for us as we're ending this morning. Father, I ask that as a church, we would be known for our generosity. And with such a topic, Father, there's such a risk of exciting some people, upsetting others, saddening other people still. And I pray, Holy Spirit, just for your grace over us this morning, that we would be free, Lord, to serve you, however you've called us to serve you, following your word, but also knowing, Father, every one of us is in a different stage of our journey. And so I pray, Lord, let us be rich in good deeds. Let us be generous and willing to share. Let us look for opportunities to be good, as Ian spoke about. Father, I pray that every one of us would get better at handling our finances so that, Lord, you could channel millions through this church, that the gospel will be preached, churches will be planted, people's lives will be changed, and you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Do you have something to say? If you're joining us for starting point, please grab a coffee. Be back in 10 minutes. We'll start just after 10.30. Sorry, guys. For those of you that prayed for a double portion in the week, you just got it this morning. With two, two messages. <laughs> so, yeah, that didn't go down too well. <laughs> but anyway, uh, guys, we are kind of working out towards the tent to put together something really special for you guys. Uh, some of the kiddies church workers just had a chat now uh, with regards to prep for that. And they were asking if you have your kids at kiddies church, we want to do a rehearsal next week, straight after the meeting. I didn't run this by any of the elders. But uh, yeah, they think it would be the most convenient thing to do is if we just do it straight after the meeting next week, Sunday. So if you have your kids at kiddies church, please prep to be here for maybe another hour, hour and a half tomorrow after the meeting. Cool. Is that good? Yeah? Did I say tomorrow? Next Sunday. Thank you, Marsha. <laughs> cool. Have a great Sunday, guys. For those that are with us for the first time, grab a free cappuccino and hang out with us in the coffee area. Thanks, guys.